0: up everybody
1: welcome back to mile higher podcast episode 239 and we have a very very interesting story oh, for you guys today. this might be
0: one of the just craziest cases we've ever covered i mean it's just
1: yeah i would say so
0: it's, it's things that happen in this never heard of before
1: totally mind-blowing so yeah we're gonna be talking about nicholas barclay who disappeared on june 13th 1994 and for a couple years his family searched for him and then all of a sudden, someone pops up in Spain claiming to be Nicholas, and we'll get into all the details from there. But it is, and it pretty just gets quiet. crazier from there.
0: It's this is like unheard of. I feel yeah,
1: like. I I can't believe I had never heard of this one. Um, I've never heard of anything like this happening to this extent.
0: Yeah, and actually, the National Center for Missing and Exploited uh, Children is involved in this. Yep, uh, too, which is which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I wanted to just say two things. Okay. First of all, what's our donation up?
1: Yeah, we're at $176,210. That's raised. amazing. So yeah, we are working towards 200000 and beyond. Thank you guys, you know, who have participated in this campaign in some way, shape or form. It's Every- making a
0: major impact. I mean, we're, we're in constant contact with uh, the CEO of NECMEC mm-hmm. and other people that we work with over there and they have all just continuously, you know, thanking us and thanking every, all of our viewers and yeah. listeners for, for the generous donations. So mm-hmm. we're trying to keep Making the ball a rolling. big impact for them. Absolutely. For sure. And yeah, we'll see some of the work that they do um, through this case as well, which is um, mm-hmm. pretty interesting to see. Um, but also, before we get into things, uh, this episode is brought to you by Black Tux, Native, Honey, and Raycon. And as always, check out mileharmers.com. Uh, items are selling out. And we will not be restocking because mm-hmm. we're doing limited drops from here on out, and we're gonna be doing some more themed collections, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, um, Some really cool stuff in the works. We're
1: already cooking up some good new shit. I'm absolutely,
0: really absolutely. So check that out. We do ship worldwide. But let's not waste any more time and let's jump into this case, starting with the Barclay family mm-hmm. and Nicholas, of course.
1: Yeah. So Nicholas Patrick Barclay was born on December 31st, 1980 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Sometimes he went by the nickname Nikki and he was raised by a single mother, Beverly Dollarhide, in San Antonio, Texas. And we really don't have any information about his father. He really wasn't a part of Nicholas's life. Nicholas does have two half-siblings from Beverly's previous marriage, Carrie and Jason Dollar Hyde. And Jason and Carrie were much older than Nicholas, so he was actually an uncle as a child. His sister Carrie has two kids, Cody and Chantelle. Cody was only three years younger than Nicholas, so growing up, they hung out a lot. Nicholas was a huge Michael Jackson fan. He collected all of his records and even owned a red leather jacket similar to the one that he wore in the Thriller music video. Beverly, Nicholas's mother, worked the graveyard shift at Dunkin' Donuts, and she unfortunately was also a heroin addict during Nicholas's childhood, which was very hard on them. But that did not stop her from providing the good things in life for her children. According to Carrie, she was maybe the most functioning drug addict. This is a direct quote from them. We had nice things, a nice place, and we never were without food. However, Nicholas was a very troubled child. He was sweet, but lonely and craved attention, and sometimes he was violent and unpredictable. His family had a very hard time controlling him. Nicholas was a habitual juvenile delinquent who'd been diagnosed with ADHD, and he frequently skipped school, and when he did go to school, he got in trouble a lot.
0: Do you think that his ADHD maybe had an effect on behavior? I mean, just speaking from your own experience, I mean...
1: Yeah, it certainly can. And
0: especially back in the 90s. I mean, they didn't really understand ADHD like they do today. Absolutely. And like, they just see it as like, oh, this kid's got behavior problems. But in Mm -hmm. reality, it's actually, you know, stemming from ADHD and just learning is different.
1: I think that was part of it. But also just the stress of what was going on at home going on with his mother, probably. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Combine all of the, you know, Mm -hmm.
0: all the things that he's experiencing on a day to day basis. I mean, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it had to have been very tough. A
1: lot of stress.
0: To try to stay on track.
1: Other parents in the neighborhood warned their kids not to hang out with Nicholas. That was probably also hard on him. One time he threatened and hit one of his teachers. And that was a big deal. And he'd also even broken into a convenience store before. His most recent run-in with the law was stealing a pair of tennis shoes. Nicholas and his mother, Beverly, got into arguments all the time. Sometimes Nicholas would hit her and curse at her, and the police were pretty used to showing up at their house to handle these fights. And neighbors were also pretty used to seeing the squad cars in front of the Dollar Hyde home. Now, another thing to note is Nicholas also ran away a lot, as you could probably imagine. But he was never gone for long. He'd usually come back in a day or so. Eventually, it became so hard for Beverly to control Nicholas that she asked her son Jason to move back in with her, That way, he could keep an eye on his younger brother and help discipline him, and he agreed. He moved back home from Utah, where he had been living with his cousin. At the time, Jason was a strong 24-year-old who was smart and artistic, but he also drank heavily and had a violent temper, and he was addicted to cocaine. Jason also had burn marks on his face and body because when he was 13, he had lit a cigarette after filling a lawnmower with gasoline, and this accidentally set him on fire. Oh my God. So Jason, as you can imagine, was very insecure about these marks, and he was worried that they would stop him from having a relationship. One of Nicholas's childhood friends can still remember how the household changed when Jason moved in. Nicholas had been very close with his mother before, and she loved him dearly. But after Jason moved in, everything in the house got worse. The friend said that Jason was a bum, and a drug addict who only cared about himself. And he thought that when Jason moved in, that pushed Beverly to do drugs herself. So the house at that point really fell into chaos. And sadly, officials at Nicholas's school were worried that he was being abused at home. He would come to school with bruises on his body, and obviously his behavior was a warning sign that something was wrong. The officials at the school actually called Child Protective Services just before Nicholas disappeared, so some sort of visit was about to take place. There was a lot of dysfunction in the household coming from all sides, and the neighbors said that the police visited a few times a month for domestic disturbances, either an argument with the kids or with the boyfriend or her other son. Nicholas was actually scheduled for a hearing regarding his juvenile delinquent status on June 14th, 1994. And this hearing would basically decide whether or not Nicholas would be going to a group juvenile delinquent home. So this was a big deal because Nicholas really did not want to go to a group home. But this hearing never actually happened.
0: So literally a day before, on June 13th, 1994, Nicholas told his mom that he wanted to go play basketball. She told him to be back by dinner, gave him $5, and Nicholas was on his way. Nicholas had actually gotten into an argument with his mother about the possibility of going to a group home and the tennis shoes that he had stolen before he left for the park. He apparently was last seen playing basketball at the park. His last known whereabouts had been listed as Thousand Oaks Drive at Nacogdoches Road. And this park was in San Antonio's northeast side, about one or two miles away from his home. At the time of his disappearance, he was wearing a white t-shirt, purple pants, black tennis shoes, and carrying a small pink backpack. Later, Nicholas actually called from a payphone and asked his brother, Jason, to have his mom come pick him up. But Jason said that his mom was sleeping and he wasn't going to wake her up, obviously because she was working the night shift, so she was sleeping during the day. So Jason told Nicholas, sorry, bud, you gotta walk home. But Nicholas never made it home that night, and he left behind all of his money and personal belongings. So when Nicholas never made it home, Beverly called the police to report her son missing. However, it's important to note that June 13th was the date that Nicholas was reported missing. It's unclear whether or not he actually went missing on this date though. Although Beverly claims that the encounter on the 13th was the last one she had with her son, this has not been 100% confirmed. Again, the family was used to Nicholas running away for a day or two at a time. So some people believe that Nicholas was actually last seen on the 10th, and he was reported missing three days later, which makes this investigation so much harder because there's all this discrepancy in, in the actual date he may have went missing. Anyway, the police classified Nicholas as a runaway, obviously given his history. They believed that he was running away in order to avoid going to his juvenile hearing the next day where he could have possibly been sent away to a group home. But if he went missing on the 10th, which is also possible, this would make less sense. So they didn't exactly give Nicholas's disappearance much attention since they figured he'd be back. But Nicholas hadn't taken any belongings with him that would suggest that he was running away. He basically had no clothes, no money, no nothing pretty much. I think what's so frustrating about this case is the fact that the authorities, law enforcement really didn't do much of anything because he was, you know, a juvenile delinquent and He ran away all the time, Mm -hmm. so it was like, why waste resources on somebody who just runs away anyway, and he may not actually be missing, so to speak. And so, obviously, the parents and his family feel differently about that, but there really wasn't much of a search done for him, as far as we know, and we tried to look and see if there's any information about what the police actually did, and it really seems like they didn't do anything at all. Yeah,
1: which is very frustrating, considering if they had, who knows, what they could have found, this could have been solved by now, or he could have been recovered.
2: Well, if he was at a park I would, playing basketball, I would assume he's not alone. Right. So why are they not talking to the other kids that he was with at the park? Or was he even at the park?
0: Right. That's the thing. And I think why not even try to establish the actual timeline of his disappearance? There's all this discrepancy. Was it the 10th? Was it the 13th? Well, why not at least look into that and try to pinpoint what day he actually went missing? And it doesn't seem like any of that happened at all. So, Carrie described spending the next 24 hours after Nicholas disappeared just crying, sick, and worried. And then they got the feeling that they needed to do something or to find a solution. So, they started to print out missing posters and got to searching.
2: It does make me question, though, if he really did go missing or was reported missing so quickly after they, you know, he didn't return home because he had a history of not coming home. For Mm -hmm. over a day or two. So it's weird to me that, okay, he doesn't show up at night and all of a sudden Beverly decides to call the police and report him missing. Like, why would you do that after only a few hours of him missing when he has had a history of leaving? Like, it makes me think that she could be possibly not telling the truth that maybe he really did disappear days before the 13th. And that's why he wasn't reported until the 13th, even though... He was missing for longer than that.
1: Yeah, and obviously this is just alleged, but is it possible that she's kind of setting up a timeline, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: That's kind of what I'm thinking, because I'm like, if this guy ran away all the time, how many times did they actually file missing persons reports for him Mm -hmm. with the police? Never. And it doesn't seem like that happened as far as we know.
1: It just seems like very out of the ordinary behavior for And it's like,
0: it sounds like, I mean the story is just like I gave him money and he went to play basketball and then he just never came home and it's like like I don't know the, the story seems sort of sort of calculated in a way and planned but mm-hmm. I mean maybe it's not but
1: and there's other reasons why we think that which we will get more into that and of course this is alleged we don't know
0: there's no we no don't know we don't know anything we're just but, looking at what actually what we do know and trying to put pieces Mm -hmm. together where we can.
2: Put yourself in Beverly's shoes. If her son's missing, wouldn't she want to call the police ASAP and try and have them find him? So could she have possibly been lying, saying that, oh, he was only missing for a handful of hours, so that because if otherwise she's like, oh, well, actually he's been missing for three days and they could be like, "Uh, why why, why have you not brought this to our attention much sooner? Now it's been three days. Who knows where he is?
0: And, you know. it, and it's also possible that Nicholas just ran away. I mean, again, it's the thirteenth. He was about to go to a hearing that mm-hmm. could have sent him to a home. So maybe Nicholas was just like he is thirteen years old. So I mean that's not you're you're old enough to figure things out. Like you probably could figure out how to get out of out of town if you wanted to mm-hmm. um at that age. And he did have a little bit of money, it sounds like so and experience c- with running away. Right, exactly. So could he have just like I, I don't want to go to a group home, so I'm just gonna up and leave and he just Vanishes that way
2: yeah the timing of it is very suspicious mm -hmm. like he had a big day coming and right
0: yeah it's very suspicious but at the same time i'm like the chances of a 13 year old with limited resources being able to pull that off without anybody seeing him or anything like that because he basically vanishes from the last place that he's seen and Mm -hmm. then he's never seen again so it's like i feel like the chances of a 13 year old really like slipping into the, you know nothingness where nobody ever sees him again but he's he's doing it on his own free will i think is pretty slim I, I think and as the case in many missing persons cases involving children i think a lot of the times obviously there's times where kids do run away but most of the time it's due to foul play mm-hmm. and so as much as you as much as it seems likely he might have just this might have been just another time he ran away and this time he decided to go a little bit further than he normally goes. To me, there's other circumstances, like Kendall alluded to, that, I don't know, that seems very hard to believe that something more sinister may have happened.
1: That seems more likely, but it is possible. It is is possible he chose to leave and and left and is still out there. Absolutely possible. Of course, that's always
0: a possibility. So the day of Nicholas's hearing, June 14th, came and passed, and he didn't show up. And he didn't show up the next day either, or the day after that. This time, he was really missing. Those days turned to months with no signs of Nicholas anywhere. According to Carrie, the police weren't really searching for Nicholas at all, and his disappearance never made the news. Unlike other missing children's cases, Nicholas's disappearance didn't get any attention, so the family were the only people looking for him.
2: Why do you think this is? My opinion is that Unfortunately, his family. I think, and I don't necessarily. This isn't my belief, but I think that the authorities could have looked at this family and been like, "Oh, well, they have a troubled past, mm-hmm. and therefore, like, eh, it's probably he probably just ran away." The kid is known to be getting in trouble, and also his, his family does drugs. And unfortunately, like that's how yeah, people that's are looked at. Like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. the reality. A lot of times when you have a trouble, a troubled household. They're not taking it seriously. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's just the reality of it.
1: It's essentially just profiling them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, low income. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just just the way the world works. And it's sad that it it is the way that it is that everybody doesn't get a fair chance at finding their loved ones. And it's, like you said, is based on other factors. But, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Janelle. I think it was exactly that reason. But Beverly has said that accepting a ride from a stranger is something that Nicholas would do. So she didn't think it would be unusual for Nicholas to get into a car with someone he didn't know. And that's what scared them the most. Someone truly terrible could have gotten a hold of Nicholas that day, which I think is a very good point because it does. I mean, that lends to another theory that maybe he was trying to leave town Mm -hmm. and he just got picked up by the wrong person that abducted him and did whatever. Um, That's another very real possibility. But the chaos at the family's home continued while Nicholas was gone. On July 12th, Beverly called the police, but when an officer showed up, she said that everything was fine. Jason told the officer that Beverly had been drinking and screaming at him because her other son ran away. A few weeks later, Beverly called the police to report what the authorities described as family violence. The responding officer reported that Jason and Beverly were exchanging words, and Jason was told to leave the house for the day, and he agreed. On September 25th, a few months after Nicholas went missing, Jason called the police and said he thought he saw Nicholas, he had apparently seen him trying to break into the family's garage. But when Nicholas spotted Jason, he ran away. The police searched the neighborhood, but they didn't find him anywhere. In fact, there was no sign that anyone had even tried to break into the garage in the first place. So the police don't actually think that Jason saw Nicholas at all, and neither does Beverly.
1: I think that's a really important detail to note.
0: Why is Jason trying to create sightings mm-hmm. of his brother? when there's absolutely no shreds of proof that he was there around her. That's Mm -hmm. very suspicious.
1: To give him the benefit of the doubt, it is possible that he did see him trying to break into the garage. And it's possible that they didn't even do a thorough job of searching with how horribly they handled Mm -hmm. this case. We don't even know that they... If they searched at all, they could say they searched, but they
0: drove around the block and said, we don't see him.
1: But in my opinion... I do think this is important to note. Also, it is a possibility that he, given his history, could have been drunk or high or like out of it.
0: Hallucinating for all we know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thought he saw him and didn't. It's, I mean, there's just so much fog around this whole disappearance. It's hard to say.
0: So after Nicholas disappeared, Beverly started using heroin again, and she became addicted to the opioid known as methadone. Jason's drug problem also continued to get worse. Cody said that he'd been really messed up by Nicholas's disappearance and he had a lot of guilt for not getting Nicholas a ride home that day. He went on a bad drug binge and he started shooting cocaine. At one point he was arrested for using force against a police officer and Beverly kicked him out. In 1996, Jason checked into rehab in Utah and got off drugs. He actually stayed at the program for more than a year and after he finished, he actually worked there as a counselor. He also worked for a landscaping company operated by the treatment center. Eventually, as time went on, the family started to accept that there was a really low possibility that Nicholas was still out there alive. It was a hard pill to swallow, but at the end of the day, they still wanted to know what happened to him.
1: So now let's fast forward to October of 1997, and this is where a chain of events began that put Nicholas's case in the national spotlight for the first time, but for all the wrong reasons. And it started with a Frenchman named Frederick. When it comes to Valentine's Day, we all know it's really all about the candy. I know a lot of people hate these, but I love the classic conversation hearts. Those are my favorite Valentine's Day candy. And that's why I'm loving Native's new limited edition candy shop collection. Like all Native products, they are thoughtfully formulated to keep me feeling and smelling deliciously fresh all day long. You know Native for their aluminum-free deodorant. Native keeps their ingredients list bare naked with ingredients that you understand like coconut oil, shea butter, and baking soda. Native deodorant checks a lot of boxes. 72-hour odor protection, naturally derived ingredients, a smooth, residue-free application. And Native has a huge variety of scents and new and limited edition scents being released all the time. And I'm loving this new candy shop collection. They have gummy bears, strawberry and vanilla taffy, Sourberry belt. We just got the gummy bears and wow, it is so good. It smells exactly like gummy bears. It's so sweet and fun. Now is the time to make the switch from an antiperspirant to native. When you visit their site you can discover all their fresh scents and maybe even try out one of their body washes while you're at it i have been using native now for over four years possibly even five it's the only deodorant i use i cannot say enough good things about it if you haven't tried it yet you really got to give it a chance i will say it does take your body a little bit of time to adjust to a natural deodorant but once it does It works so much better. So right now, go to nativedeo.com slash milehard20 or use promo code milehard20 at checkout to get a sweet 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash milehard20 or use promo code milehard20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. Now, before we go any further, we want to warn you that this man is a very unreliable narrator. He's a big storyteller, and you'll see why soon. So you can take everything that he says with a grain of salt. So on the night of October 7th, 1997, the police in Linares, Spain, got a call from a phone booth. A man on the other line explained that he and his wife were tourists and they had just found a boy. He looked to be about 14 or 15 years old, and he didn't have any identification or documents on him. The boy was very scared and all alone. And when this couple tried to give him food, he refused. The man told police that they should send someone over right away. The police didn't get a name from this caller, but that man was actually Frederick. And he was not a tourist, he was not with his wife, and he did not find a boy in the phone booth. There was no boy. It was a work of fiction. And now Frederick was going to get back in character. He was going to pretend to be an abandoned teenage boy so that the police would take him in and send him to a group home. There, he would have a roof over his head, three meals a day, and other kids to spend time with. But Frederick wasn't a kid. He was 23 years old. But he is unusually young looking for his age, especially around this time. So his boyish looks and very good acting skills would hopefully be all he needed to sell the act to the cops. But why pretend to be a kid? Frederick was trying to fill a void in his life the size of not France. It seems like he was trying to feel wanted, trying to feel like he belonged, and Frederick was looking for the love that he never got as a child. He never wanted to grow up, so going to a group home was the goal. At the home, he would be cared for, pitied, paid attention to, and he would get to hang out with other kids just like him. So when the police arrived, Frederick knew it was go time. So the officers get to the scene and they find a boy huddled up in the phone booth. Rain was falling and he looked cold and frightened. He was wearing a big coat and kids clothing. There was also a hat hanging low over his head, making it hard to see his eyes. Frederick really needed to sell the act. He had to look scared and pitiful so the officers would feel bad for him and treat him gently. Instead of some street urchin or delinquent teen, the cops needed to treat him like a child who had been hurt. And sure enough, when the cops tried to grab him, he pretended to flinch. So they helped him out of the phone box and into the back of the patrol car. So, so far, his plan was working. Frederick didn't speak, even when the police asked him questions like his name. And when they got back to the station, Frederick still wasn't talking. The police didn't know what to do. If he didn't talk, they couldn't hold him. That was the idea for Frederick. If he stayed silent long enough, they'd take him to a group home. And that's exactly what happened. But his plan wasn't entirely successful because according to him, this group home was one of the rare ones in Spain that demanded children have some sort of identification. So he knew he had to come up with something quick. If he couldn't trick them with a new identity, he would go to jail. So Frederick told the staff that he was an American who ran away from home. He would call his family, but only if he could do it, not the staff. But when he was picked up, it was the middle of the night back in the States. So he conveniently explained that he couldn't call his parents right then and there. He needed just 24 hours in the office to prove his identity. And just like that, the staff accepted his request. And this is where Frederick got to work. He called up the American police and pretended to be a Spanish policeman. He said there was an American boy there who must have been missing for a few years. The police gave him the number for National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Virginia. Then Frederick explained the situation to them. He said there was an American boy aged 14 to 15, but they didn't know who the boy was. So Frederick started to give Neckmack a very vague description of what he looked like. Short, brown hair, prominent chin with a gap between his teeth. He wanted the child that they suggested to look like him. The lady on the other end told him that she might have a match, Nicholas Barclay from San Antonio, who went missing on June 13th, 1994. Then the lady faxed over a black and white copy of Nicholas's missing poster. Frederick took a good look at it and he thought he'd be able to pass for Nicholas, whose appearance would have changed after three years, of course. He knew it would be risky, but he called back NECMEC and told them that there was a match. Nicholas Barclay was sitting right next to him. And just like that, Frederick's new plan was in motion. He would get to move to America where he'd have a family, be taken care of, loved. He just had to make sure he could pull it off.
0: So finally, after three hours of Nicholas being missing, Beverly got a call that he was alive in Linares, Spain. Carrie, as you can imagine, was absolutely shocked when her mother called with the news. She had no idea how Nicholas could have ended up there, but the joy she felt was incredible. Carrie ended up calling the shelter back and talking to someone at the shelter named Jonathan. What she didn't know was that Jonathan was actually Frederick. Jonathan explained that he was sitting next to Nicholas at the moment. And as the story goes, Nicholas had been kidnapped and held by a child sex trafficking ring. Luckily, he'd been able to escape, but he was very traumatized and he'd been abused. He'd forgotten about a lot of things and he remembered Carrie, but not that much. Carrie asked to talk to Nicholas, of course. Frederick listened while she told Nicholas how much she loved him and missed him and how they were going to bring him home. Frederick pretended to be Nicholas and responded with a faint, I love you. And when Carrie heard that, she burst into tears. Later on, Carrie got into contact with Nancy Fisher, an agent at the FBI field office in San Antonio. And Nancy was very shocked by what Carrie told her. She told Carrie that once they got back to the States, Nicholas would need to be interviewed. The next day, Nekmek sent the shelter a file with one of Nicholas's missing posters printed in color. So when Frederick saw the color photo of Nicholas, his stomach dropped. Because of course, Frederick looks nothing like Nicholas. Frederick had dark hair and dark eyes, whereas Nicholas had blonde hair and blue eyes. They didn't look alike at all. Nicholas also had three tattoos, the letter J on his left shoulder, the letter T on his left hand between his thumb and forefinger, and the letters L and N on his outer left ankle. And obviously, Frederick didn't have any of these tattoos. So at this point, Frederick thought, I'm absolutely screwed. He actually burned the missing persons poster and panicked. And from there, he tried to make a run for it. When an officer from the consulate showed up to the shelter, Frederick was actually missing. So that officer and a shelter staff member drove around looking for Frederick. Eventually, they found him and took him back. The next day, the staff informed him that his sister was coming in from San Antonio to pick him up. At this point, Frederick knew that there was no way out, other than going to prison. So it was time to get creative. Frederick actually bleached his hair, and he had a girl from the shelter give him the three stick and poke tattoos using pen ink. Meanwhile, Carrie knew that her mother Beverly wouldn't be able to handle the flight, so she flew out to Spain herself to get Nicholas.
1: Which was quite an adventure for her. She had never been out of the country before.
0: Yeah, I couldn't even imagine like the anxiety and just the feeling she must have had not only leaving the country for the first time, going on this international trip, but then going to get her brother, Mm -hmm. or so she thought. When Carrie finally got to the shelter, she immediately recognized the boy as Nicholas. Frederick was kind of surprised by how quickly Carrie hugged him and felt his face. She touched his nose and told him that she remembered that nose and that he'd always looked like their Uncle Pat. Frederick was very quiet during their little reunion. The shelter and the consulate staff gave Carrie a moment alone with her younger brother in the visiting room and this is when Carrie pulled out dozens of old photos and started showing them to Frederick. She gave descriptions of each picture asking if he remembered their old house or remembered playing with cousins and Frederick kept the act up. He'd make comments about Jason and Beverly looking the same or saying that Carrie's son must have grown a lot. He even jokingly asked if their grandpa was still an asshole and said he missed their grandma. Meanwhile, Carrie was surprised at how different Nicholas now looked. She thought he must have grown up since he went missing, but to her, he still looked like their Uncle Pat, and his tattoos were still the same. He didn't speak much, and when he did, it sounded weird, but Carrie chalked it up to the fact that he'd gone through a lot of incredibly brutal things. The judge in Linares wanted some sort of proof that this boy was Nicholas before she just let him leave with Carrie, so she told him that he needed to identify the people in five family photos that he'd never seen before. Sure enough, Frederick was able to name all the people in four of the five pictures. He made a mistake on the last one, but the judge thought four out of five was good enough, so she let him go. The thing is, is that they didn't know Frederick had already seen those photos, because Carrie had shown him all of them in the visiting room. Frederick said that without having seen the photos before, he would have failed all of them. But Frederick was obviously not going to say anything. He had pulled it off so far, so they took his passport photo, stamped it, and he and Carrie were on their way.
1: Now, looking at this passport photo, <laughs> unbelievable that no one caught on at this point.
0: And he's got like such dark shadow from his where a beard would grow in too.
1: I mean, he clearly looks over the age of 20.
0: And the hair, like it doesn't look natural blonde at no. all. It looks like someone bleached their hair.
1: It's hard to believe that she would have actually believed that this was her brother. But he does believe that maybe she knew and was right. just going with it. Right. So this has been mentioned. Of course, we don't again, actually know. This but. is just
0: several years. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just don't see how he looks like 16. No. He clearly looks like 20 plus years old. Yeah. And then the eye color. Yeah. I'm like, how? I know. Changing eye color, is that even a thing? Like, I don't even, I think you can insert ink in your eye and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. change it that way. And he claims
1: that's what they did to him.
2: No, he claims that they just put drops in his eyes, but that is not possible. You can get uh, iris implant surgery, which is a procedure that inserts a prosthetic iris into the eye, or you can get keratopigmentation, which is a procedure that permanently changes the color by inserting a special pigment in front of the natural pigment of the eye. But when he was talking about it in the um, Mm -hmm. documentary we watched, he just mentioned how they... Put drops in his eye and it changed.
1: Yeah. Very hard to believe that. (laughs) I'm just surprised that no one figured this out sooner. It seems extremely obvious.
0: Especially his ears, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Carrie said that he was acting very anxious when they got to the airport. He was always looking around and going to the bathroom or staring at her. But according to Frederick, Carrie was the one staring. On the plane ride, Frederick started freaking out, realizing he couldn't get out of his situation. But Carrie just thought he was anxious about the plane. But finally, on October 18th, 1997, they arrived in Texas. The family was waiting for Nicholas and Carrie at the airport. And when Frederick walked off the jet bridge, he was overwhelmed. The family was so happy to see him, they all hugged him and told him how much they missed him. Everyone was there. Carrie's husband, Brian Gibson, Cody Chantel, Beverly, Everyone except Jason, as he was still at the treatment center in Utah. And Chantelle remembered that Beverly was not as excited as everyone else. She just didn't have the reaction you expect to see from a mother whose missing son had just come home. Yeah, That's a very interesting observation. Mm-hmm. Because you could take that several ways. But the one way that I'm taking it is, did she know right off the bat? Because she knows either what happened to Nicholas or mm-hmm. she just knew he was a fake based I mean, on looking at both, him. Yeah, yeah, either way. Frederick, of course, was quiet and distant. He kept his hat down low, his scarf up and his sunglasses on, and he didn't really like to be touched. He was very happy to be with his new family, but he was afraid of being caught. So he kept his walls up.
1: So their family decided that Nicholas would live with Carrie and her husband, Brian, and their two kids. She and Brian owned a trailer home in Spring Branch, which is located 35 miles north of San Antonio. Beverly worked nights, so they figured it would be better if he wasn't left alone. And Texas wasn't exactly the America that Frederick had imagined. He'd thought he'd be in a big city. He only knew what he had seen in movies. So he was definitely a bit shocked when they got to this cramped trailer. Frederick had to share a room with Cody and sleep on a foam mattress on the floor. But at the end of the day, he was happy that he at least had a family that cared for him now. There was always a worry that the real Nicholas would walk through the door any day. And Frederick, at that point, would obviously be caught. And that kept him on edge. But that day never came. So as time went on, Frederick really started to settle into his new life. As far as anyone knew, the Nicholas Barclay story had ended in a miracle. And Frederick believed that he had pulled off the ultimate con. Wow. You've got a new life
3: in America. The family has welcomed you mm-hmm. into their home mm-hmm. as their long lost son.
4: Mm-hmm. Yep, long lost brother, long lost son, long lost uncle, long lost friend.
3: Still, at that point, you want to keep it going.
4: Yeah, it doesn't occur. To you I to didn't. Say, I didn't think one second of stopping. No, it just didn't come to my mind. It's like any other identity that I took, I was that person. Even though this time it was true, I was that person. Because in my mind, in my twisted mind, my twisted logic, in my con artist logic, that's what they wanted.
3: I put it to you that what you did was worse than being a con artist. It was far worse.
4: It might be.
1: It was. <laughs> dude like, has no shame. Yeah, in fact, he's quite proud of himself. Clearly,
0: I know, and I know. like. He's like my Connor. This brain, my. I it's know. like no, dude. That is what you are. Like, I know. Uh, just interviewing this guy, he's like the interviewer was like trying hard not to like crack a smile. It looked like mm-hmm. this guy. This guy is just.
1: He's entertaining. I'll give him that.
0: Something else, man. He's a. He should be in Hollywood. He's a great actor. <laughs> Apparently he's, but yeah, I, Uh, I agree with him. I think you're like, this is way too far when you're literally like assuming, assuming anybody's identity is wrong, but then to assume one of a missing person to pretend to be their long lost son. Like, it's just,
1: it's just so mind blowing that at this point, no one had figured it out. It's hard to believe. In fact, I don't believe it. I I I really don't believe it either. I don't,
0: I don't believe that they didn't know that this wasn't Nicholas. I mean, he is nothing like, like there's some. Old footage of nicholas from his mm-hmm. childhood and stuff like that and just the way that nicholas carried himself was like totally different i mean just They're like nothing absolutely no, nothing alike and they and the family is always like well you know he went through all of this trauma and torture and everything like it's possible he would have been completely changed by it but i'm like but i don't know if that your personality and very essence of you would change yeah. like obviously you would have ptsd and parts of you would absolutely change mm-hmm. but like that thing that makes you you I would still be the same like yes. especially from a family perspective like I, I could just never imagine not recognizing my daughter no matter what happened like
1: yeah it seems really hard to believe i mean you'd be able to pick up on the facial features right uh, his voice his tone obviously the accent i feel like the you'd accent kind of thing, pick I'm up like, on that
0: i just i don't get Mm-mm. The dude's got an axe a French accent and
1: they had to have brought up things That he would have no idea what they were talking about like come on I know that they How would did, have yeah, to bring up holy totally. like, remember Memories. when this happened or remember this dog we had or you know something
0: or just even like talking family dynamics and top talk, talking Through family turmoil and things like that and there's no he has no knowledge of any of the history of this family But no, his excuse would be like, well, right I, I forgot life. I forgot I've been like brainwashed basically
1: Over the last three years. I do see that. And obviously, they don't exactly know how the trauma that he has been through is going to affect him. So they're trying to just accept him as is. But I see why there is so much criticism and speculation that this family really did know. And this was convenient that he hopped into place for Nicholas.
0: I'm just like, and like, never like, I'm just like, how did they think Spain, like, out of all the places he went from San Antonio to Spain? And like, how? Why?
1: It's, it's just, just it shocking doesn't, that this, doesn't make he was any able sense. to pull this off.
0: I'm a pretty simple guy, so I don't own a lot of fancy clothes. And I honestly don't go to a lot of events that require me to wear fancy dress like a tuxedo or a suit. But when it comes time to do that, which I had to go to a wedding this past fall, I turned to a company called The Black Tux to get me all suited up, looking sharp, so that I don't make myself look like a fool in front of the family and friends. So the black tux makes it super easy to get an on-trend, top-quality, guaranteed-to-fit tux without ever leaving your house, which I absolutely love. I have no time to go to some store to be measured and wait around for them to order a tux for me. It was great because I could just sit down at my computer, which is where I usually am anyway, and get that tux ordered, while also making sure that it's the right fit. For the wedding that I went to, I ended up picking a blue modern fit suit, which actually turned out to be Absolutely fly. And it was super simple to get it ordered. All I did was go to the Black Tux website, did their fit quiz, picked the style I wanted, and boom, my Tux was delivered to my door. Gave me plenty of time to try it on and make sure everything fit well. And luckily for me, everything did fit well. But if it's not quite right, you can say hello to Black Tux's Fit Guarantee. You can order a better size within a day or two of receiving the less than greater fitting one, and they'll send the other one right away at no extra cost. And if you'd rather go into a store, you know, I get it's not for everybody to do everything online, the Black Tux has showrooms across the country and their expert fit specialists will help you find the perfect style tux or suit and make sure it fits just right. What I liked about Black Tux, though, is that if you, you know, absolutely fall in love with your suit or tuxedo, they have a rent-to-own program, which is great. So that money that you spent renting it actually goes towards the purchase of the tuxedo or suit. So rent or buy. The Black Tux is the best place to go when you need a tuxedo for a wedding or a special night out. And right now, when you go to theblacktux.com slash milehigher and use code MileHire, you'll save 10%. That's T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K uxcom slash and use code milehigher to save 10%. That's the blacktucks.com slash Use code milehigher.
1: So their family thought that the best thing for Nicholas was a normal routine. So like any other kid his age, he went back to school. He'd hang out with Carrie's son and his friends, and he started doing stuff that normal teenagers did: hanging out, going to the park, stuff like that. He even formed a crush on a girl in the neighborhood named Amy. And the two of them would hang out and talk on the phone. So in terms of everyday life, things seemed pretty normal. But people still couldn't help but notice some big differences. When Nicholas came back, he was now 16 years old, and he had the voice to match. Plus, he had an accent and spoke with European phrasings. But Frederick explained that this was because he had spent so much time in Europe. He also had only been allowed to speak French. But he still looked different. His hair and his eyes were darker, and Frederick of course, had an explanation for that too. Like we talked about earlier, he said his kidnappers not only colored his hair, but they changed his eye color. Not using colored contacts, he said that they actually physically changed his eye color using a chemical solution.
2: Which, by the way, I know I just touched on those two procedures you can have. Um, I don't know for sure, but I do believe that those were not around during the 90s. I think they're relatively new. Um, or if they were, I don't know how accessible they were. Mm-hmm.
0: It's honestly scary that we have a 20-plus-year-old dude coming in pretending to be 16 years old. Going to school. Going to school, liking the neighborhood girls. Like It's terrifying, very, honestly. Very upsetting.
1: Obviously, the family saw that there were a lot of things that Nicholas couldn't remember. Frederick couldn't remember something that he had never seen before, of course, or recognize people that he had never met. But his explanation for this and all the memory issues was the trauma that he had been through. And their family believed it. But Frederick didn't talk about what supposedly happened to him. The family thought he would tell them when he felt comfortable. But FBI agent Nancy Fisher wanted to interview him right away because as far as she knew, she had to track down Nicholas's abductors. So on November 4th, about two and a half weeks after Nicholas returned, Frederick went in for an interview with Nancy, and she immediately noticed that Nicholas looked a lot older than he was supposed to be, and he had the shadow of a dark beard. But the story he told her was disturbing. Frederick said that on the day he was kidnapped, he was lured by two young boys at the park, and before he knew it, there was a rag over his face, and he was thrown into a van. His kidnappers were high-ranking military men that took him somewhere overseas where he was sold into child sex trafficking. He was held in a room with other trafficked children, and they were all repeatedly subject to horrific sexual abuse and torture. He and the other children were raped multiple times a day, and the captors performed experiments on them. Frederick said that the men broke his hands with a baseball bat and broke his left foot with a crowbar. They fed him insects, burned him, burned him with cigarettes down his back, and even put needles in his eye. And one thing that's really interesting to note about this story is the idea that they changed his appearance so much when he is in a foreign country where no one is going to recognize him, and there is no point to going through all that effort to change his eye color, to change his hair color. For what reason? That's not lining up at at all.
2: If he's in trafficking, you think the quote-unquote customers would care? Are like, "Mm, let me go and identify these people yeah oh they don't give a fuck Mm -mm.
1: he also said that the kids that were trafficked were forced to wear uniforms and were trafficked using military planes they were beaten if they spoke english but finally he said he was able to escape through a door that one of his kidnappers carelessly left open and after hours of running he realized that he was in spain and that's how he ended up in the phone booth And this story was so disturbing that after the interview, Nancy was feeling deeply shaken. It was so bad that she thought no normal person could make this type of stuff up. Either this boy had to have been a victim himself or he was a phenomenal actor. She just didn't know which one it was yet.
0: Another weird thing about a story is if you've got all these high-ranking military officials that are running this sex trafficking ring, they are dumb enough to leave the door open for one of their yeah subjects to leave yeah that easily and just run away.
1: big red flag in the story right there.
0: I mean there's you could poke holes in his story all day it makes mm-hmm. no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But Frederick oh Frederick, he thought he was so smart and he thought he'd gotten over his last hurdle in his game. He'd convinced the staff in Spain, the family mm-hmm. and now he outsmarted the FBI that he was Nicholas Barclay and the family was very convinced that Nicholas had been abused. His mother said it was obvious to them, and his uncle Brian pointed out his broken hand, which never healed properly, as well as his limp, and the cigarette burns that ran down the back of his head. Eventually, Frederick had met almost everyone in the family, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, and all the rest. Everyone except Jason, his older half-brother, the last person to talk to Nicholas. That is until one day Jason stopped by to visit. It had been about a month and a half since Nicholas had returned, Frederick said that Jason didn't look at him like he was Nicholas. He gave him a hug in front of the family, but he still looked at Frederick like he knew something was off. A few minutes later, Jason told him to come outside, and he put a gold cross necklace around Frederick's neck and told him, good luck. And then he left. And after this, Frederick never saw Jason again.
1: Now, obviously, that is an incredibly weird interaction. And... Definitely makes you think something is up with Jason. Did he actually believe that this was Nicholas, in my opinion? I think if
0: that is true, that account is true, I'd say absolutely not. But at the same time, it's almost like he's like, oh, convenient. Mm -hmm. You're here. Mm -hmm. You're a nice placeholder. Could be. To potentially cover up something else.
1: That is definitely widely believed by people who have looked at this case.
0: So the tabloid TV show Hard Copy wanted to do an episode on Nicholas. They hired private investigator Charlie Parker to track him down on November 1st, 1997. And Charlie quickly found out where Beverly lived and they set the interview up. Nancy had explicitly warned against Nicholas talking to the media. It would potentially jeopardize the entire investigation into those kidnappers and their trafficking ring. Even Carrie didn't want the interview to happen since she was a very private person. But media attention was just what Frederick wanted, so he agreed to do it. Because in his mind, he's like, you know, if I do this interview, it's going to make Nicholas more real, more legit, and people would believe that he was actually Nicholas. And if he could do that, then people would love him even more. And he had a psychological need, clearly, for attention. So Charlie Parker and the TV crews came out to San Antonio on November 6th, and right off the bat, Charlie thought that something about the boy just seemed off. Nicholas was a violent, unpredictable child with severe ADHD when he went missing, but he came back calm and seemingly level-headed. Nicholas attributed this to his trauma, but Charlie thought this was actually maturity, the kind that Nicholas wouldn't have at the age if you know, it was actually him and he came home, and also based on his history. It just really didn't add up. They were actually taping the show when Charlie noticed something very odd. Nicholas's ears. Just by chance, he'd been standing near a booth that had a picture of young Nicholas Barclay on it. So he could see both that picture and Frederick from the same direction. And Charlie noticed that the blue eyes Nicholas had in the photo did not match the boy's dark eyes. So obviously, something's off about that. So Charlie actually asked for a picture of Nicholas's ears. He knew that he could do a very important comparison when he got home. What's interesting is that ears don't actually change as we age, which. We're talking about the shape the size if you have attached versus non-attached lobes etc so nicholas's ears should have been the same from when he went missing to when he was found and let's just hear it from charlie himself about this ear issue this i i attribute a lot of i mean this guy made a very great discovery i mean it's not like he did rocket science but i mean it's
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It's kind of shocking he was the only one i know right
0: yeah and when i
3: went to the house during the interview Uh, I was fortunate enough to have the real Nicholas Barclay's photograph sitting right by me and the imposter was being interviewed. I noticed that the the real Nicholas Barclay had blue-gray eyes. The imposter's eyes were brown. And I asked the cameraman to zoom in on his ears.
1: His ears? It's a technique
3: Scotland Yard uses uh, to identify people. Uh, The ear is the only part of the human body that doesn't age. And I knew if I could compare the ears, I could, I could know what I had
1: here. He also mentioned that this was a technique that they used to identify James Earl Ray, which I thought was interesting.
0: So Charlie actually went home, compared the picture of Nicholas to a picture of Frederick in Photoshop. Very smart. And he realized something astounding. The ears didn't match. This man was not Nicholas Barclay. He was an imposter. Charlie immediately called Nancy Fisher and told her about his discovery. She was apprehensive at first. She didn't think she could question a family who said that this boy was their son, because how could they get that wrong? Who had just taken some random stranger from Europe? But Nancy had her suspicions, but she didn't have enough information to really act on them yet. So the FBI continued on with her investigation into this trafficking ring, but they needed more information. Nicholas hadn't given any details, like the names of his captors or where he'd been and when. So they wanted to fly him out to Houston to get more info. They told the family that Nicholas was going to Houston to see a trauma expert. Really though, he was going to talk to a forensic psychologist at Texas Children's Hospital. The forensic expert thought he was going to talk to Nicholas to get more information about his kidnappers, and he thought he'd be speaking to a teenage boy. When they were first introduced at the hospital, Frederick spoke for the first time, and the expert immediately knew that something was off. But the interview went on anyway. Frederick repeated the same story he had given to Nancy. But the expert noticed some odd things. When people recount deeply traumatic events, they have noticeable physical changes, like their pupils change size, their posture changes, and their heart rate increases. But Frederick wasn't showing any of these signs. Not only that, but the boy couldn't speak English without an accent. And this just didn't make sense. Nicholas spoke with an American accent for 13 years. So there is absolutely no way that in just three years abroad that his whole accent would change at that stage in his development. The expert knew that this boy could not have been raised in an American home, and that meant this boy was not Nicholas. The expert had no idea who this person was, but he was very, very certain that it wasn't Nicholas Barclay. So the expert actually immediately notified the FBI about his findings, and this turned the whole investigation upside down. Nancy immediately called Carrie and broke the news, and she told her that the person that they'd brought home could not be Nicholas because he could not be American, and that this person... For all they know, it could have been like a spy or something. Mm-hmm. So he could have been a potentially dangerous individual. Nancy said that Carrie responded by shrieking and screaming. But she tried to reassure her that the FBI would take care of the situation. This person would not have to go back to their home. And Nancy told Carrie not to come to the airport and she would handle this person herself. Carrie told her okay. But when Nancy and Frederick arrived back at the San Antonio airport, she was shocked to see Carrie standing there waiting. She took Frederick back into her arms and asked how the trip was. Nancy couldn't believe it because Carrie acted like the conversation that they had had never happened.
1: Now this clearly says a
0: lot. It does.
2: Why would you do that? Yeah.
0: You were just shrieking on the phone mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I can't believe this person is not who they are. But then you show up at the airport and continue on with the whole mm-hmm. show.
2: Could she be sh- She be shrieking because the fact she's like, oh fuck, they're on to us like they know what's yeah, going on maybe, possibly yeah.
0: or the, the covers blown mm-hmm. but they never knew this was going to happen in the first place though you know what i mean like it's yeah, not right. unless this was all orchestrated by the family somehow <laughs> uh, i mean they, i guess was, there's a chance there's a chance but I, we don't have evidence of that but yeah. is there a chance i i don't feel like that would be something or that they do but
1: could it be extreme denial not wanting to give up the idea that they had found well
0: mm-hmm. that's what carrie says is yeah. like they weren't ready to like just say that this wasn't their their brother so Nancy immediately called the U.S. attorney's office and asked what she should do, and they advised her to let Carrie take this person home, but only temporarily. She was still dumbfounded. She told Carrie on the phone that this person was not her brother, but according to Carrie, Nancy didn't put it in those words. Which I'm like, what? What does that even mean? Like, she didn't spell it out like that, or? I don't, I don't know. even know what that she meant by That doesn't even make sense. Frederick had been in the U.S. for about two months when his behavior started to change. He wasn't used to being a member of someone's family, especially while he had to keep up pretending to be someone he wasn't. So he started to crack little by little. He actually got suspended from school after he stopped going to classes. He'd also been contacting his mother in Europe. He wrote her letters, and at one point, he called and told her he was living with a woman in Texas who believed he was her son. Frederick's mother was so upset with him that she hung up.
1: Then, in December, Frederick tried running away. Frederick had stolen Brian and Carrie's car and driven to Oklahoma, where he was then pulled over for speeding, and he was arrested. And Beverly, Carrie, and Brian took him back home. Later that month, Frederick actually freaked out, took a razor blade, and used it to cut up his own face. Frederick showed the family what he had done to show that he couldn't handle the pressure anymore. From there, he was sent to stay in a psych ward for a few days. And all of this behavior really concerned Carrie. She told Beverly that Nicholas couldn't live at her place anymore, so he moved into Beverly's apartment. And things didn't get much better. According to Frederick, Beverly treated him more like a ghost than her own son. Interesting. Mm. And one night, he said that she'd gotten drunk and screamed at him, I know that God punished me by sending you to me. I don't know who the hell you are. Why the fuck are you doing this? Beverly said that she didn't remember there being any incident like this, but she said, he must have gotten me pissed off. Still, she continued to insist that this boy was actually Nicholas. Interesting. And Nancy Fisher knew that if she took blood and fingerprint samples from the imposter, it would prove that he was not Nicholas. But when she requested that Beverly bring him in to take the samples, she said that this person was her son, and she didn't have to hand anything over. But just because the family had refused to turn over blood samples, Nancy was not going to let this whole thing go, obviously. So the FBI got a court order demanding that Nicholas produce them. She got a few other FBI agents together, and they went to the Dollar Hyde home to get fingerprint samples on February 24th, 1998. Nancy told Beverly that they needed to produce the samples now. She said that Beverly actually laid down on the floor and said, no, and you can't pick me up and you can't make me. Beverly said she didn't want to go anywhere with the FBI, but she says she doesn't remember refusing. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But she said her main goal in life at that point was to just not think. Carrie explained their family's reasoning by saying, We didn't need to prove who he was. We knew who he was. Even though at this point they've already been told that the FBI does not believe this is their brother. But at that point, Nancy's perspective changed. Instead of a grieving family, she started to see the dollar hides as people with something to hide. She was able to get the samples that day. Now, the FBI just had to wait and see if Interpol and other embassies had a match for the fingerprints. And in the meantime, Frederick's behavior was starting to change for the worse. He was getting more and more angry and volatile. It got to the point where the FBI was worried that he was going to try and run away. And Charlie was worried too. He actually started tailing Frederick and watching Beverly's apartment. Even Frederick started to become suspicious of the family's behavior. He thought the family knew that he wasn't actually Nicholas. At that point, he figured it had to be obvious to them. And when Beverly refused to make him give over a blood sample, he started to put the pieces together. Carrie showed him the pictures at the shelter that day because she decided that he was going to be Nicholas. She knew that it wasn't really him, but she was going to put all those facts in Frederick's head so he'd be able to leave. Plus, Jason didn't come to see him when he first came back, and the one and only time that he did visit, he had acted very strangely. It was like he knew Frederick was an imposter. As for Beverly, she had been distant at the airport, and she had treated him oddly when they lived together. It was like she also knew Frederick wasn't Nicholas. So we're seeing a real pattern here. Frederick said that he realized the truth. They were all pretending just like he was. It's almost like they were exactly what each other needed. The family knew Nicholas was not coming back because maybe they'd killed him. On March 3rd, 1998, the results got back to the FBI. The embassy in Spain found a match. The imposter's name was Frederick Ordine, and he was not a 16-year-old boy. He was a 23-year-old French serial imposter. Wow. Yeah, wow. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easiest way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Nothing feels better than knowing you saved a little, but what about when you are surprised by a deal? And thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one that it finds to your cart. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites and when you check out, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons that it can find for that site. And if Honey finds a working coupon, you just watch the price drop. We have been buying a bunch of new decor, furniture and lighting for our office space and Honey has helped us save so much through the process. Just this morning, we used Honey and saved $30 on a lamp that we were purchasing, and it could not be easier to use. The fact that it just takes all the thinking out of it, I can't tell you how many times in the past I would go to a couponing website and waste at least five minutes, you know, seeing if they worked for nothing a lot of the time. Honey completely eliminates that. And a lot of people don't know this, but it doesn't just work on your desktop. It actually works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you're doing yourself a solid and supporting our show. So get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash mile That's joinhoney.com slash mile The FBI found a long list of Frederick's past impersonations. He had pulled off dozens and dozens of these cons in countries including Spain, Belgium, Ireland, Italy, Luxembourg, Bosnia, Portugal, Slovakia, Sweden, and many others. Frederick was wanted by Interpol for his impersonation crimes. His M.O. was pretending to be lost, abducted, or a runaway youth that had been sexually abused. And he would try to end up at youth shelters by posing as a scared, abused boy who had been abandoned obviously we now know that frederick is a pathological liar with deep seated issues he claims that he had taken on these identities to get love that he never had as a child which is really interesting that that's his you know underlying motive here is love basically he did all these impersonations to fill the void in his life left by emotional neglect as a child and he wasn't conning people for money He wasn't a sexual deviant. He conned people purely for emotional reasons. But psychiatrists said that he wasn't a psychopath, and they determined him to be sane. So the mind of Frederick Bourdain was truly an enigma. Frederick's mother, Ghislaine, was only 17 or 18 when she had him. We aren't exactly sure because it's been reported both ways. But his father was a 25-year-old Algerian man named Casey, And this was a big problem for Ghislaine's father, who was a racist. And he was ashamed that his daughter had slept with an Algerian man. So he wanted her to have an abortion. So, Frederick said that he had been unwanted since before he was even born. He never knew his father. Ghislaine raised him until he was about two and a half years old. But according to relatives, she liked to stay out all night and party. So she was neglecting Frederick. Ghislaine's parents called child services and they sent Frederick to live with them
0: But life wasn't easy with his grandparents. Sometimes his mom would visit and she'd try to get attention from her son by pretending to be deathly ill and Frederick was an outcast and not so Frederick started making up stories about his life. He told people that his father was a British secret agent, and that's why he was never around. He once told his grandparents that a neighbor had molested him, but sadly, they never took this allegation seriously. Frederick frequently got into trouble at school and stole from neighbors. He was sent to Juvia at the age of 12, and then he started to walk the streets pretending to be a lost child with amnesia. When he was 16, Frederick ran away from a youth home and did his first impersonation act. He told the police he was a lost British teen named Jimmy Sale. He wanted to go to England, where he thought life would be better. But the cops didn't buy it, and he was sent back to his youth home. But Frederick was just getting started. He began to practice and perfect his technique by creating fake identities all over Europe. His goal is to end up in the perfect shelter. By the time he turned 18, he had stayed in dozens of shelters under different identities. But now that he was an adult, he didn't know what to do, and he didn't want to grow up. So all of the impersonations continued. As the years went on, Frederick started getting media attention, and he appeared on a French TV show in 1995. He told the audience that all he wanted was love and a family. He got a lot of sympathy, and the show's producers were actually so moved by his story that they offered him a job. So Frederick started a job in the newsroom. But it didn't last long. He ran off pretty quickly to do more impersonations, and his lies became his art and his purpose. And as you can imagine, over the years, his tactics became so refined that he could convincingly pretend to be a teenager even as an adult. That's how he earned the nickname, the Chameleon. And that's how he ended up in San Antonio, posing as a missing boy and staying in his family's home for almost five months. So now we'll get back to this part of the story, because this is where the House of Cards starts to fall. On March 5th, 1998, Beverly took Frederick to Nicholas's old school, John Wood Middle School. But Frederick didn't recognize the school. And when Beverly confronted him that night, he freaked out. Beverly called Charlie at midnight and told him what happened. She knew now that this person was not Nicholas. So Charlie took Frederick out to lunch that next morning. There, he confessed that he was not actually Nicholas Barclay. It was Frederick Bourdain, and he was wanted by Interpol. The truth was finally out.
1: And what was interesting about this to me is he didn't even try to continue the con going. As soon as Charlie confronted him about it, he just gave up. It seemed like he was getting kind of burnt out on the
0: line. Yeah, he was just kind of tired of impersonating Nicholas at this point because it was like not becoming easy anymore. Mm-mm. When Charlie went to the restroom a few minutes later, he called up Nancy and told him what Frederick had just said. Nancy told him to stall Frederick. The FBI was still trying to get a warrant. So Charlie went back to the table and Frederick told his story for the next hour. Here's what Charlie and Frederick have to say about this conversation.
3: This diner, this very diner, describe to me the conversation that took place. Okay. I said, your mother called me, which I knew he wasn't his mother, upset, crying. He said, she's not my mother and you're the only one that knows she's not my mother. And I sit back in the chair. I said, what do you mean? He said, my name is Frederick Bourdine and I'm wanted by
4: Interpol. I knew they knew I wasn't Nicholas. I knew that they were pretending I was Nicholas. I knew it very deeply in my heart. And I knew they were pretending that I was pretending that it was a never-end game. And I knew they were gonna arrest me.
0: But after this confession, Charlie then drove Frederick back to Beverly's apartment. Just as he was pulling away, the FBI showed up and surrounded Frederick and arrested him. He surrendered without any trouble. Beverly, on the other hand, turned to Nancy and yelled, what took you so long? We're actually going to play a little clip here of Frederick's arrest.
1: So there's no sound, but you can see him being arrested. And he, yeah, he definitely looks defeated. His hair is the, like the back is to up. being
0: dark again, too. The blonde looked like it washed out.
1: It's kind of fading, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's more like brown. But he does. I mean, he looks way older than 16.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so obvious. Not even
0: remotely close.
1: So I think his theory is dead on.
0: After he was arrested, Frederick gave the San Antonio police his theory. The reason that the family was so accepting of his lie and the inconsistencies was because they knew what had happened to Nicholas. They'd killed him. In fact, Frederick claimed Beverly confessed to him that she and Jason had killed Nicholas and hid his body. So the police actually opened a homicide investigation, and they brought Beverly in to take a polygraph, which she agreed to do, and she passed. But Nancy was shocked when she saw the results. She insisted that something wasn't right, so she had Beverly take the polygraph again. And again, Beverly passed the polygraph. But Nancy still didn't think that it was possible. The examiner told her that if Beverly was lying, she had to be on drugs. So Nancy had Beverly polygraphed for a third time. But she had her wait a little while so the effects of any drugs would have worn off. This time, Beverly failed nearly every question. According to Nancy, the needle practically jumped off the table when Beverly said she didn't know about Nicholas's whereabouts. The polygraphist said this clearly showed deceit. When he started saying things like, it appears that you know where your son is, Beverly got very angry, jumped up and ran out and started screaming. Nancy caught up with Beverly and asked why she was running. She claimed that Beverly replied, This is so typical of Nicholas. Look at all the hell he's putting me through.
1: That just alone says so much to me.
0: Yeah, it just...
1: But the anger is still there.
0: Beverly admitted to lying about stealing, so that's why she failed, she said. But she said she told the truth during all the questions about Nicholas, which I'm assuming they asked her some like questions, you know, they take like a baseline, they ask you a number of different questions so it's possible mm-hmm. they're like have you ever stole something or something like that and she she lied on on that question according to her, but
2: obviously polygraphs are unreliable. However, I do think it is very interesting that nancy was like no we need to do this three times Mm -hmm. like why not the first two times was it because i guess if she was on drugs yeah that could have been it but i've never heard of someone taking a polygraph three times
1: yeah
2: it's unusual
0: which is important to remember that the american polygraph association claims that polygraphs are accurate over 90 percent of the time Mm. when they're properly administrated
1: but there's so many factors that can...
0: But that's the thing is like if you're on drugs, I think that affects your heart rate and yeah. things like that. So you can... I mean, there's definitely ways to to dupe them for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think that was honestly smart to have her take, you know, three. If anything, maybe they should have had her do a fourth one to kind of get, you know, a better average, you yeah. know, if she, if she failed again or not. Because I, I do think it was smart based on the fact that, we you know, Beverly used drugs. So... You know, is it possible that she was under the influence the first two times? But maybe not. I think it's crazy that we're still using polygraphs. I mean, they were invented in the early 1920s. And it doesn't seem like the technology has really, like, evolved all that much since then. And it's still used to this day by law enforcement in order to rule out suspects Mm -hmm. and crimes. And, like, I'm surprised there's not a better device now or a solution something you know that doesn't require a human to administer it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i'm sure there'll be a day when you take a test and ai is like yeah probably conducting the test as opposed to a human polygraphist but i don't know i just thought that was interesting i just feel like to just rule out a suspect based on a polygraph is i don't know if that's always the smartest thing but i agree they still do it
1: so inconsistent.
0: So Nancy said that she tried to get a hold of Jason before Frederick was arrested, but she couldn't. And when she finally did talk to him, she asked about Nicholas's disappearance, and Nancy said that Jason was extremely apathetic about it. He didn't really care when he returned, but when he did see him, he knew that it wasn't his brother. But for whatever reason, he didn't care enough to tell Carrie or Beverly. He said that they just wanted to believe. Nancy said Jason was also very hostile. He refused to talk to the police without a lawyer or unless he was under arrest, but Charlie was still able to speak to Jason. Once he actually told Jason, I think you did it. I don't think you meant to do it, but you did. Charlie said that Jason didn't respond and that he just looked at him. At first, the authorities couldn't figure out what exactly to charge Frederick with, so they settled on perjury and fraudulently obtaining a passport. Frederick pleaded guilty on September 9 1998. The sentencing guidelines for these charges were 18 and 24 months, but for what he did to the dollar hides, the judge sentenced Frederick to six years, which is three times the guidelines. In jail, Frederick went right back to his old ways, calling in hundreds of fake tips on missing children from a phone in his cell. Which, why the hell did they give him a phone in his cell? He tried to appeal the length of the sentence, but the appeal was denied. He made several more claims after he was found out. First, that Nicholas was alive and he knew him in Spain, Second, that he had proof Nicholas was dead. And third, that he didn't know Nicholas or anything about the case. In fact, he claimed that one night, Beverly was crying like crazy and told him that she thought Jason killed Nicholas.
2: Do you think the um, sentence was justified? Or do you think it was too long, too short?
0: I think it was justified.
2: I do, for sure.
0: I think six years is more than fair. I'm just surprised they allow him to continue the behavior. Like six years, but here's a phone, so you can call in more fake tips. Like yeah, how like does that why was he not being monitored? How like does that costly? rehabilitate him to go back into society?
2: Well, can't you get phones in prison?
0: Yeah, That's you get annoying. you get access to phones. No,
2: but I'm saying like people sneak in phones.
0: Yeah, well, but yeah. this
1: is before That's cell true. phones, so he was just on a uh, the like a know. payphone yeah, type right. situation.
0: Phone.
2: Yeah. Which jail? Those are Monitored. I'm like, right, pretty positive. That's what I'm
1: saying. Why the fuck were
0: not they not yeah. paying attention
1: to what he was doing in there? Especially <laughs> when he has this. Ju- it's not just this case. It's right, a huge history that he has of impersonating people.
0: Bizarre. And continuing to even behind bars, he doesn't yeah. stop. He doesn't give a damn. I'm surprised they didn't like report that to the judge. And be like, hey, judge, uh, this dude is hey, still judge. making fraudulent phone calls, trying to
1: mm-hmm. I know
0: mis mislead people and that's the thing he's just doing a giant disservice to all these cases by calling in fake tips and things like that I mean that's that should be a crime in itself right
1: yeah definitely
0: like giving like it's basically like lying to the authorities oh it
1: is it's lying to the authorities 100% throwing off an investigation honestly just sad
0: as a person who loves music and just audio in general I'm very picky about the types of headphones and earbuds that I use When I found Raycon, I was actually very, very impressed. I thought they were a gimmick at first, but I've been using Raycons for a number of years now, and I gotta say, they're actually one of my favorite earbuds out there. So you get great audio and you don't, your wallet doesn't have to, you know, be emptied in order to enjoy quality music. What I love about my everyday earbuds is that they fit in my ears absolutely perfectly. I can work out, I can sleep in them, and they never fall out of my ears. Versus other earbuds I've used in the past, they'd fall out of my ears or my ears would be aching after only having them in for an hour or so. Plus, Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands and you don't have to sacrifice the quality. And not only that, they have three customizable sound profiles, that have earbud tap functions, noise isolation, awareness mode, and like I said, they'll give you the most comfortable in-ear fit because they give you custom gel tips so you get that perfect feel. Crystal clear call quality as well, water and sweat resistant. And for the Everyday Earbuds, you get eight hours of playtime and the Everyday Speaker, which they have speakers as well, you get 11 hours of playtime. So if you're ready to buy something small with a big impact, go to buyraycon.com slash milehigher today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash milehigher to score 15% off. Check it out today at buyraycon.com slash milehigher.
1: So then Jason Dollarhide passed away on November 17th 1999 at the age of 30, and his death was due to a cocaine overdose. However, it's unclear whether this was an intentional overdose or not. Some sources have reported it was suicide, but we don't know for sure. However, Nancy and Charlie both believe that the overdose was in fact a suicide. The homicide investigation stalled after Jason's death, and it was eventually closed. Nancy Fisher still thinks that Jason and Beverly know exactly Where Nicholas went. His sister, Carrie, thinks that Jason became the perfect scapegoat because he's not here anymore. He can't defend himself or explain himself. Beverly said that if Jason did do this, she didn't know about it, but she didn't think that Jason killed Nicholas. Doing something like that, she said, was just not in his makeup, but she didn't know for sure. As for Carrie, she says that she knows that Jason and Beverly did not kill Nicholas. Not on purpose, and not on accident. Everything that Frederick was saying was a lie. But Charlie Parker is not so sure. Here's a clip of Charlie talking about Frederick's deception skills.
3: example of his cleverness, uh, I paid to have him polygraphed, and he passed it. He passed polygraph. Now, we believe in the polygraph. Uh, he, 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 it was inconclusive, and he showed no deception. Mm. And we know he was lying. You know, We knew he was lying. But uh, he was that skillful.
1: Even though he knows that Frederick is a good liar, in this case, he believes he has no reason to lie. So he does believe that the family had something to do with Nicholas's disappearance. He also thinks that Nicholas is no longer alive. Charlie is still trying to figure out what happened to him to this day. He also said that Beverly confessed to him that Jason killed Nicholas. However, she has denied ever saying this. As for other suspects... Charlie said that his investigation didn't turn up any other potential persons of interest. Here's what Charlie has to say about the other POIs.
3: What sort of a neighborhood was it? A good neighborhood. So it was a bit of a surprise that he just went missing. It was. uh, We ran backgrounds on all the people in the neighborhood. Uh, We can do that here. And uh, we found no criminal charges of any bad kind. We found no sexual predators at the time. Uh... No people of interest that might have kidnapped or taken the boy.
1: Charlie was able to get in contact with the new homeowner of the Dollar Hyde house on Swallow Drive. This homeowner said that when he moved in, his dog always kept digging in the back corner of the yard. And one day when he was mowing the lawn, he noticed pieces of plastic that looked like a tarp sticking out of the ground. When he tried to pull these pieces out of the ground, they kept ripping. So the tarp was clearly stuck in the ground. So, Charlie actually went out and dug up that spot, but nothing came up. He also had other spots in the area that he wanted to dig up. And since it's been a decade since this was reported, and we've heard nothing back, we're assuming that he didn't find anything. In 2008, Beverly talked to a journalist about the case. After Jason's death, she'd gotten sober, and she started working as a caregiver. She explained that she'd been distant at the airport because Frederick looked odd but she ignored that gut feeling. She also admitted that she took drugs before the polygraph exam, probably heroin, methadone, and alcohol. But she said that she did not lie to the examiner about Nicholas. Beverly said that she was not a violent person and the world's worst liar. Anyways, as for Jason, Beverly said that she didn't think he'd hurt Nicholas, but she said that when Jason did cocaine, he was totally wacko, a completely different person, and was scary. Once, he'd even beat up his father. But she said that Jason's drug addiction only got serious after Nicholas disappeared. And Carrie said that there's no actual evidence pointing to her family's guilt. They took Frederick in because they truly believed he was Nicholas. As a serial imposter, he was very convincing. But everything he was saying about the family's involvement is a lie, according to her. So Frederick was deported to France in October of 2003, and he continued to impersonate many more people after he got out of prison. Only three months after he was deported, he got caught trying to impersonate a missing 14-year-old boy named Leo Bali. In 2005, Frederick pretended to be an imaginary 15-year-old orphan named Francisco Hernandez Fernandez. For a month, Frederick lived at a French youth shelter and attended high school. He became a very popular student who, again, had everyone fooled. But one day, a staff member actually saw a TV program about Frederick. And she told the principal that Francisco looked just like Frederick. And sure enough, when the police questioned him at school, they discovered his true identity. He was arrested and sentenced to six months in prison. A French woman named Isabelle actually saw Frederick's story on TV and became interested in him. She tracked him down and wanted to meet. Frederick thought it was a joke at first, but in 2006, they met in Paris and fell in love. And the two got married. On August 8th, 2007, Frederick had invited his family to the wedding, but no one believed he was actually getting married, so they didn't go. He and Isabel have five kids together, Athena, Esteban, Odyssey, Isis, and James, and he said that his days of deception are over, and he will never impersonate anyone ever again. However, later on, a journalist asked him if fatherhood and being a husband made him a new man. And Frederick responded saying, no, this is who I am. Frederick has pretended to be over 500 people in his con artist career. (sighs) Unbelievable. In 2017, Frederick announced on Facebook that his wife, Isabel, had left him and taken the kids with her. He claims that she was unhappy after a decade of marriage and is now seeing another man. But he is still focused on being a father. Here is Frederick reflecting on his cons and new
0: life. Do you think uh, this ended up being your last experience as an imposter?
4: Because um, I adopted a cat. There's one thing about me, I can't abandon him. And what I know is that I get five children. There's no greater joy than to look after my children. I've been in many countries and I want my kids to see those beautiful places that I've seen. I want them to be happy and to know, not too much like me but more than a little.
3: His only desire now, to live a good life, finally, as just one person, himself. Are you sorry?
4: Yes, I'm sorry for my entire life. I'm sorry for my entire life, who wouldn't be?
3: I would have said that you were sick, mentally.
4: Well, oh, yeah, yeah, and there are still people who say I am. Are you better? Better?
3: Are you better? I mean, if you <laughs> concede that you were sick, are you are you better now, psychologically?
4: If I was sick at the time, I'm sick now. Lust I was lost at the time. I don't think I'm sick. <laughs> God, what an
1: interesting person!
0: His mind really is an enigma.
1: It like, is. It's it it's really such is. a
0: because like I really like I really don't think he did anything with like malicious intent like it yeah, was it's so
1: weird it was for for love and like human he's, connection
0: he's got these deep emotional wounds mm-hmm. that he's trying to fill and you can't help but feel sorry for him. i mean like, it's you know,
1: like obviously what he's done is terrible but it's like i feel i kind of feel for the dude
0: well it's like people have different ways of dealing with things like that right everybody's mm-hmm. got some different way. some some for some people it's drugs or food or whatever it may be and for him, it was impersonating other people mm-hmm. and trying to make himself into what he always wanted to be yeah. like a valued family member, yeah, and I think he just saw the missing person's path as a way to do that, yeah, because there's like a logical path forward for that. you can become this missing person, and they'll welcome- you know they want you back so they're going to welcome yeah. you with open arms. and
1: It's almost like in a way he sees himself as a missing person. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like he's missing. Yeah, exactly. Like he's trying to find his way back home somehow. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. that even with his kids and being married and stuff, he's still like, I don't know if he'll ever change, like fully change or fully no grow out of this. Like it seems like mm-hmm. this is like just said, a void that can't ever be filled. Who
2: I am. It seems like he doesn't really, like, feel bad, though. I don't think he... No, well... I know he says, like, yeah, I'm sorry, but...
1: No, I don't
2: think he feels bad. I don't think he feels bad.
1: I don't think he's, like, capable of feeling
2: bad. Well, that brings me to my next point of, like, I know that psychiatrists who spoke with him say that he's not a psychopath, and I'm not here to diagnose him, obviously. But it does interest me that some of the characteristics characteristics he presents do align with some form of antisocial yeah. personality disorder
1: i would definitely agree with um
2: that. difficulty with authority often having legal problems resulting from failure to you know conform to social norms lack of concern for others um acting impulsively i mean he yeah. himself was like that was a super impulsive thing and he once he started going with the lie, he didn't even really think of the consequences or how to execute it properly. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, he just kind of went with he it. He just kind of went with it. Just saw, like, the opportunity and jumped.
2: I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that he has difficulty feeling empathy for others. Like, it doesn't seem like he really thought through what this would do to this family. You know, whether they, whether they believed him or not, whatever, but, you know, just the sheer fact that he was willing to go along with this yeah. and... Do such a terrible thing on paper, Mm -hmm. um, you know, deceit this family that is already hurting. You know, assuming that Nicholas really did go missing and Mm -hmm. that there was no foul play. That's a terrible thing to do, and it seems like he really wasn't able to. You know, holy shit! If I do this, like, what? How is this going to affect this poor family? It doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of remorse. I know he said he's sorry, but he also was like, no, I'm not sick. This is who I am.
0: Well, he has no understanding of family or how that would affect someone because right. he's mm-hmm. never been in a family. Right. So how can he possibly understand how a family would feel about missing a loved one and mm-hmm. having them come home if he's never even known what a loving family is like? So I don't, I don't know if it's like you were just saying, you know, due to a disorder or something, or if it's just a lack of experience and just yeah. a lack of. And I, I agree. I think he shows a lack of empathy, obviously. Like, even if you would never experienced having a loving family, you should be able to, as a human being, be able to empathize with a, with a family who's missing a loved one.
1: It's very interesting to me that he was able to pull all of these cons off when it doesn't seem like he really thinks further than the next step ahead, right? Like, he, he goes very step by step in these things and is kind of making things up on the spot and figuring out how he's going to do things as he goes along. And he's still somehow able to pull these things off.
0: I think it's thrilling for him. Yeah. I think yeah, it's clearly. like a source of entertainment for him. Yeah. I mean, now he's in jail and he's keep or he was in jail. Sorry. And he's did a lot of the same things, you know, like I think it's it's ingrained into his being being now. And that's just like who he is.
2: There's and, also this term called duping delight. Um
1: Interesting. Duping
2: delight. Where it's kind of like. Sounds like what it you know it is what it sounds like It's delightful like. to yeah. dupe people. Yeah, you're getting yeah. like a satisfaction right. off of duping people or conning people. Um like a thrill. And you know having that control over these people. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a game. Again, I'm not here to diagnose someone. I don't know, but it does interest me because it seems like the trauma that he experienced in his own upbringing could have led him mm-hmm. to Where he is today, and you know the path that he went on.
1: It definitely seems that way. One thing's for sure, though, this dude has amazing dancing skills. (laughs) This documentary that was done. What is the name of the documentary? Imposter. The
2: imposter. The imposter. Imposter.
1: It's so well done. I definitely recommend watching it. Um, it won a bunch of awards. It's very artistic, and
0: (laughs) he loves to dance. Like,
1: (laughs) yeah, we can't play the music because it's copyrighted. But
2: dancing to Michael Jackson. Damn. When was this posted? Uh, one thirteen wow two weeks ago he's just look at him oh wow
0: what's up with the hair is that a wig no he's wearing a cap oh (laughs) it looks like (laughs) a wig
2: oh man here's another one
1: free freddy
0: what is oh man wow yeah it was kind of moves like this yeah yeah in the
1: documentary there's uh it almost reminds me of of like napoleon dynamite yeah totally very similar
0: God. This guy is a character, though he is—he really is.
1: He's a very interesting person. Clearly, a very troubled person. But interesting I wonder—I wonder
0: how many of his past impersonations got this far? Mm-hmm. Like, got to the point where he's like there, living or there in person, or if it was purely yeah. like to what extent a remote they couldn't sort have of all thing? Been. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. he said he's been to all these countries, mm-hmm. so uh, clearly he went there and was impersonating other people in other countries. But how do you do that with how do you get, get documents and everything? And, mm, like
2: I don't know if I believe that but, honestly. Like yeah. everything. I don't know. I don't believe a lot of things he says. And yeah. maybe he oh, did travel, not. but like I think he also could be saying that to like play up. Yeah. The,
0: well, he's so. very proud of his yeah, ability, right. mm-hmm. so he's almost mm-hmm. like
2: Brian, Like I've been to all these countries, and maybe he has. I don't know. That's yeah. my thought. Well,
1: we could sit here and talk about Frederick all day because he is a very fascinating person, very twisted, um, and it's easy to get caught up in everything Frederick, but at the very end of the day, we, you know, have to talk about Nicholas Barclay. He is still missing and he deserves to be found or deserves justice. Here's an age progression that shows what he might have looked like when he was 26. He would be 42 years old today. So this obviously isn't what he would look like today. And if you have any information on the disappearance of Nicholas Barclay, please contact the San Antonio Police Department at 210-207-7484. So let's kind of go over what we think, because clearly there is quite a bit here that points to this family. But we want to be very clear that we are not accusing them of doing anything, and it's all alleged.
0: Well, and there's no evidence. Yeah, there's no evidence. There's no evidence there's to suggest a lot that of the family did anything. Sketchy behavior right. and and things that Frederick said.
1: Yeah, things that Frederick said. And of course, it's Frederick, so you have to kind of take what he says with a grain and of I, salt.
0: And I do take a lot of things that Charlie Parker, the PI says pretty seriously I do too. too. So I, I don't think he's, you know, Completely lying or off. anything. So I think yeah. there's definitely suspicions for sure. So starting off, family is innocent. And that what happened was the stranger abducted Nicholas and the family had nothing to do with his disappearance. Um, which is a very real possibility. We've kind of mm-hmm. discussed this earlier that there that absolutely, is. that absolutely could have happened. He could have went to the The basketball court and just disappeared from there got maybe got into a car or was trying to get out of town because he had his hearing coming up and he Mm -hmm. just you know people do just run into the wrong people yeah and especially kids and horrible things happen after that so it's not i think that's definitely a a likely piece of evidence but i just go back to there really was like no investigation done Mm Uh, I mean, eventually a homicide investigation was open, but it's like at what, I wonder how far that's gotten. Like, we don't know any information on how far into that investigation they've they've gone when it comes to homicide or what they've looked at. And I mean, I imagine they probably investigated Jason um, to some extent, but it's just like, there's really not a lot to go off of.
1: I really fear that we will never actually know what happened to Nicholas.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's a very... Likely scenario because I think Jason knows more or knew more. Yeah. And it's possible. Is potentially involved in his disappearance mm-hmm. and he's no longer here. So, not much you can do about that. But, yeah. Beverly, obviously, there's debate on whether or not she knew about what mm-hmm. happened to Nicholas. And I mean, if you go back and look at some of the things she said and some of the things that Frederick has said that he overheard beverly say to him or or whatever you have to i think you have to at least consider the fact that potentially she was either involved in his disappearance or know something that she's covering for jason or somebody else potentially because i mean when you look at disappearances and stuff you know a lot of the times it's Someone closest to the victim, mm-hmm. right? Yes, like in a lot of cases yeah. with family members, you oftentimes have to look at somebody who's closest to the family Absolutely. or to the victim. And and in this case, it'd be his mother mm-hmm. and Jason. And I think is it possible that Jason and Nicholas got into it or something? Jason was potentially high or um, you know in an altered state of mind and accidentally did something to Nicholas, and so. Out of fear they cover, you know, they covered it up or he did something with yeah. him. I mean, it's it's very possible. I think I think based on Charlie Parker's investigation into Jason, mm-hmm. I think that's a I think that's a very likely scenario because mm-hmm. just the way that Jason's acting, uh the things that he said. But then again
1: And things that Beverly said to Charlie right. as well. I mean, why right. would Charlie just make that up? Right. Right. So And I
0: think if we were to ask Charlie right now what he thinks, I think he yeah. would 100% agree with that he would say mm-hmm. i think the family knows what happened to nicholas and therefore that's why when frederick came along they played along with it yeah, versus like, this is convenient right that's versus he was
1: able to pull this off
0: making a big deal about it not being their son and we need to find our son and that's the thing is like how hard did they actually try to look for nicholas it doesn't seem you know some missing persons posters and then it just stopped like yeah for three years like mm-hmm it seemed like they were hoping it just kind of go away. And then Frederick came along and they were like, this is bringing a bunch of attention to us mm-hmm. but that we don't want. Mm-hmm. So let's just go along with it. It's
1: just so frustrating, you know, thinking like we'll never possibly never know what really happened or the idea that maybe he really did run away, which obviously at 13 is hard to pull off, Pretty but it's tough, possible. Yeah. It does happen. It is possible. It is possible. Um,
2: I did want to mention one thing. Um, you know, how we talked or Jason talked about per- potentially seeing him at, in the garage or whatever, breaking right, in. Right, But Charlie does mention that it's not uncommon behavior for people who know exactly what happened to their family to claim, you know, some sort of sighting like this. Yeah. They report the person, you know, being seen to make it look like they're alive. Yep. Um, and yeah. Making like Missing, sense. Going yeah. on their own accord. Yeah. And then also, like, let's... In this scenario, let's say Jason has something to do with it. Oh, well, if Jason reports, then the police, you know, they kind of, the heat is off Jason's back at that point. Yeah. Because he's the one reporting that he saw him missing or saw him breaking into the garage.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, what Carrie said that, you know, he's just blamed for it because he's an easy scapegoat because he's not alive anymore. I don't think that's why he's being blamed for this. There's so many other factors here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I think if this whole scenario really went down, it is possible Carrie had, has no knowledge of what actually happened. Very possible. And therefore, is being defensive because she just doesn't know. Yeah. And she believes her, her family members mm-hmm. and so, and just believes they would never do something to, to Nicholas, but...
1: But it is interesting that Frederick said that he felt like she knew right away that it wasn't her brother. He wasn't her brother. Right, right. She Which just seemed to go along with it right away, which she, you know, says otherwise.
0: Which I I don't necessarily think you can discount everything Frederick says I get. He's... An imposter and a liar and, and things like that but at the same time i think i think some of the things he's saying lines up with yeah. the little evidence that we do have and some of the conversations that uh-huh. were heard are, are consistent with what charlie parker found out as and well what nancy and had nancy to say as well. and nancy so, had to say too so
1: you definitely can't discount it
0: i don't think you can discount it at all i just i think that's the likely likely scenario and i mean i'm glad san antonio police is still you know gathering tips and things like that and hopefully they can figure out what what actually happened to to nicholas because
1: no it's very sad
0: yeah and i mean unfor- you know it's just it's unfortunate too because it's not like all this all these resources were put towards this case and Mm-mm. even to this day i mean they said they never made the news even no his disappearance made the news very disappointing which and very we don't sad. even know though if they tried to make you know have his story make the news we have no idea the extent at which the family tried to get his story out there. Yeah. Really until Frederick came along and Frederick I mean, is really the only reason we even know about this case. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't know. This one's this one's definitely definitely tough. It's
1: Well, we of course want to know what you guys think. Do you think that the family was involved in Nicholas's disappearance? Do you think he ran away and could be out there still? I'd like to know what theory makes most sense to you guys. But that is going to be it for us this week. We will be back next week, of course. But until then, keep on taking your mind